0: Let's go ahead and uh, pray and ask the Lord to lead us in guidance and understanding. We're starting a new series today uh, in the book of Daniel, Standing in a Fallen World. And it's going to be an interesting challenge to preach through an OT narrative uh, that's like the book of Daniel. I've never done it before. I've taught sections of Daniel. But uh, this is pertaining and why we're in Daniel fits perfectly with where we are with world events right now. Many of you guys know that uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to uh, uh, making prophetic utterances. Uh, you know, We're going to do a lot of questioning of, of uh, relevance here, and, and you're going to give yourself away today over and over and over as I ask you questions from the front. So, as I say this statement, you'll probably reveal your age. I will not do a Harold Camping prediction today. I got one thank you over here on the right. All right, the rest of you don't know who Harold Camping is. Very good. Don't Google. Don't even bother Googling Harold Camping, if I can emphasize that enough. But I will say that we are seeing things happen at an exponential rate in the world that we need to pay attention. And the fascinating thing is, is how many of you like history? That was your favorite subject. How many of you hated history? Yeah, absolutely. What was the point of history? And, uh, yeah, Leiden, how are you with history? Oh, you like it? Oh, good. Excellent. Alright. Um, history is a fascinating thing, and so as we look in our Scripture in Daniel today, we're going to see the value of how God uses history to get His point across. And what I want you to do is take that and apply it to life Today. Because what you're going to see here is happening now. It is happening now. And the challenge for you and I is to be resolute. That's the title of today's sermon. You can take out the sermon notes and go through them. I doubt that we will get through all of them. That is my challenge week in, week out. You need to pray for me. We're going to cover a chapter a week, supposedly. We'll see what God does with that. That, that in my book is impossible. We'll see where we go. So as we get ready to do this, um, I'm going to ask, Scott, would you please just pray over the sermon for us this morning? Amen. You've heard much scripture already today, whether it was out of Philippians or Revelation or Colossians. And each of those passages specifically fits in a parallel to what we're going to see today in the message. You know, a big part of our challenge is how do we live in our faith and make it interesting today, relevant today. This is a great quote. As I've been preparing for this study in Daniel, I've been pulling out resources. This was the preface out of the B series from Warren Wiersbe on Daniel. And it was powerful enough to give me some, some uh, uh, context to what we want to look at today and the challenge that I think really fits out of the book of Daniel, first chapter, and what we deal with today. So let's, let me read this to you. There are two tests in life. The test of adversity and the test of prosperity. The challenge, of course, during the test of adversity is not to give in to despair. Not to doubt God's love, power, and presence in our lives. The challenge during the test of prosperity is not to forget God. Not to become self-sufficient and proud. Today, what do you deal with? What do you face? Is it adversity that challenges you in your faith and in your walk? Or is it prosperity? And for many of us, we would say, well, I get the adversity, Pastor, That I get discouraged, and in those moments where I get discouraged, I'm saying, okay, God, where are you? I want you to stop and take a moment and examine your life. Are you content? Or are you miserable? Are you... doing it in your own strength? And doing well at that? Are you... Watching problem after problem after problem pile up. And you're saying, how much can I take? You know, I just want to share with you that we've been asking the congregation to pray for us. And I want to share and say thank you. It's been a tremendous help. But even in the midst of that adversity, a week ago Thursday, I'm I'm working in my office and all of a sudden some things are kind of falling apart here. And I'm starting to hear about how so much is hitting our church right now. And I want to share with you, I believe our church is literally under attack. A lot of times pastors will say that. I blatantly will tell you right now, something we're doing is right. I don't claim that for myself. I'm just saying something we're doing is having an impact because I'm hearing after family, after family, after family that's going through adversity. Adversity. The enemy is real. The enemy does not want you to succeed in your faith. He wants to get you sidetracked. He wants to get you discouraged. He wants to distort who you think God is. And for some, it's working. We've lost three families in two weeks. For crazy reasons. Crazy reasons. And so I want to take this moment to look at you and say you need to be resolute. I don't know what's going on in your life. I know what, don't know what's going on in your heart. But what I do know is that we will all face adversity. Some of that adversity just comes because that's the world we live in. But some of it comes to discourage you in your faith and your view of God. And that is the enemy's attempt to always change your view of of God. That's what we're going to see today in Scripture and Daniel. What is your view of God? Now, okay, pastor, I get the adversity problem. I get the adversity challenge. But what are you talking about prosperity? How many of you need God? Teens? How many of you need God? You know, that's easy for us to raise up our hand, but my kids know about a camp that we've gone to in Catalina the very first time I went, and Hannah, you've been there. and The very first time I went was 1987. I went with a college camp, middle of August. And they talked about this hike where you hike over the top of, of Catalina. And, you know, the four or five people in the room know what I'm talking about. Nobody wanted to do it. I just alone wanted to do it. And so I thought, okay, Avalon's that way. How hard is it? Just walk up the trail, get to the top of the hill, find the road, and follow the road down. I left at the wrong time. It was 95 degrees out, I had no water with me, and I was a stranger walking in a strange land roaming among buffalo and goats. It did not go well. I was in the wilderness almost as long as the children of Israel, okay? And by the time I hit some vestige of society and civilization... It was this little house, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was the first house as you walked in the road at the top of the mountain into town, there's a little white picket fence and I'm stumbling through, I almost broke their gate because I couldn't get the gate to open and the reason was, is I was so thirsty, I needed something desperately and what did I see? I saw a garden hose hanging from their front wall. And I grabbed their hose. I turned the spigot. I laid down in their front lawn and I stuck that hose in my mouth. I didn't move for 20 minutes. I didn't care if I got arrested. I didn't care who was there who wasn't there. But I needed water. Folks, if we aren't resolute about our need for God to that level, prosperity is very dangerous. Because that, that bad choice taught me how much I needed water to survive If I don't feel like I need God on that level every day, then I feel I can do it. I feel I can do it. I'll do it on my own. I'll make it happen. Why? Because I can. Right? Because I can. And that's what prosperity does to us. Prosperity sucks us in... Listen to this statement. This is based out of The story of the soils. The parable of the soils. Listen to this about the idea of prosperity. The soil of our faith is revealed through various seductions. The desire to walk away in anger. The desire to proclaim ourselves God. The desire to be like others rather than Christ. And who Christ has for us to be. Only through being resolute, through all challenges, do we truly find the state of our soil. I had multiple people here last week that I know do not know Christ yet. And as I was praying for um, visitors that were here, as I do on any given week, if I see a face that I'm unfamiliar with, I'm always praying because I have no idea where, where you're at. It's not so much about the seed. It's praying that the soil will accept the seed. And that's the point of the soils in that parable. Prosperity makes us feel like God. You get it? prosperity makes us feel like God. Because if I don't need God, if I can make it happen, I am God. Therefore, I don't need to be resolute about my understanding of faith. Well, let's look at how this is all connected to Daniel. History. How did we get here and why does it matter? Right? Have you ever said this in your history class? (laughs) How did I get here and why does this matter? Especially when you get your grade. The failure to listen and repent resulted in captivity for Judah under Babylon. That's what we're going to see here in a moment. As we move through, you're going to see in Jeremiah 25, and and let me go there real briefly, and you can turn there if you want. Jeremiah 25 is this proclamation by Christ. It's a prophetic message to Judah through the prophet Jeremiah to warn them about what's coming. And here's the challenge, is that God is a jealous God. God loves you deeply so much that He sent His Son that we might have eternal life. Well, sometimes that's hard to really pack into my daily basis. How do I really live in all of that? And then when it becomes the fact that I'm no longer resolute in being faithful to Him and my walk with Him because of adversity, I give up on Him, or because of prosperity, I proclaim myself God. God will send warning maybe this morning is that warning for some of us in the room. You see, God would be a horrible God. Not a righteous God, but a horrible God if He just took His wrath out on people like rolling dice at a craps table. I just randomly choose to exercise my wrath on you or you or you. That's not how God operates. Does God come with a heavy hand sometimes? Yes. How many of you have had a warning given to you by your parent and you didn't listen to it? And maybe you grew up with the parent that gave you like two warnings, maybe three warnings. And after a while, you were just like laughing whenever they gave you a warning. Like, you don't follow through with anything. Why why do I care what you say? You know, God gave Judah warning after warning after warning. And a chance to repent. And listen what happened. Jeremiah 25. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. In other words, the first year of his reign. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah to the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken persistently to you. But you have not, what? You have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Whether it's adversity or prosperity. Check it. The nation of Israel was notorious for this. They would be in one of three positions with God. Either they were locked in and things were great because they had come underneath God and they said, we want to listen to You. We want to live righteously. We want to walk with You. We want to be Your people. So they thrived. Prosperity came. And then as prosperity kept hanging around, they were not resolute to remember who gave them the prosperity. And they started realizing that they were living the high life they were making it happen. They were seeing the good times come. They could do this. They could do that. And they forgot the Lord their God. And so God came alongside and He sent warnings saying, You have brought things into your life that are evil. They're just horrible. They have nothing to do with me. They're other gods. You've given your heart over to other things. And God's broken hearted over it. That's what prosperity does. It makes us our own God. And so God warned and warned and warned. And what, what is Jeremiah saying from the Word of the Lord? He says, I warned you and I talked and, I, and you're not listening. I was persistent to send you servants and prophets. And he says, turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land of the Lord or the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from old and forever, do not go after other gods and serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Guess what? This is another warning. They still have a chance. They still have a chance. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger in the works of your hands to your own harm. Big whoop! That's deep theology for who cares? Ah, God's flapping His gums. What's that mean to me? I'm just a student at Antioch High. Or I just go to Clayton High. Or or I'm going to uh, College of the Canyons. Or whatever it would be, and I'm living my life, and life is good, and life is, you know, I've got some problems, but God doesn't have anything to do with that, and I have to make it happen for myself, and I need to do this, and I need to do that, and things, things are pretty good, but, you know, it's not great, and God keeps saying something to me here. But big whoop! Here's what you need to learn from history. Whether you're a student, whether you're in profession, whether you're a parent, whether you're retired, God is the same as he was with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, Judah, Israel, as he is right now. And he is sending us warning shots. He is sending us warning shots. And you know what? Here's the value of history. You ever get in a fight with your brother or sister? I used to get in fights with my sister all the time, and she always went for the Lysol can. She used to grab... Remember Lysol? Like if if you're under 35, you probably don't even know what Lysol is. Um, but, But she went for the Lysol can and I went for the fly swatter. And we would have it out. Now, the next time that we would fight, and I knew that a fight was coming, I learned from the historical basis of previous fights that if I'm smart... I'll go before we get in the fight and I will hide the Lysol can. Which I did. What I did not know is she knew where the backup can was. And we still had it out. But see, that's what history does for you. It helps you fight your sibling. No. No. And if you have siblings, don't fight. But the challenge is this. We learn from history because there's a reality of things happening. Or sometimes we don't because of our own arrogance. We just say, I'm not going to listen. And that's what Judah did. And that's where we find ourselves. Our test is between God and ourselves. He will often use others to apply the pressure. Some of you have been disappointed and you have adversity because people have let you down. Some of you teens have been let down. And, and frustrated and angered. Whether it's, it's adults, whether it's uh, friends, whatever it would be. The challenge in that is to not see it that it's come through other people, but maybe that's God trying to get your attention because you refuse to listen. Where do I get that from? Where we are, where we're about to go to. Or maybe it's just simply that we're so wrapped up in our own world and living our own lives that we've forgotten God because we have so much. And so God needs to send somebody to bring us to a point where we start seeking Him again. You see, that's the relationship that you see in Scriptures between man and God over and over. The beautiful part about that relationship is God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. So you may think you're in battle with somebody. The nation of Judah wasn't really in battle with Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to find out as you hear the scripture that God actually calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. God calls the bad guy his servant. Ephesians 6 talks about the fact that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against principalities. And so the challenge for you and I this morning is to look at it and say, what is it that's happening with this pressure? Where is it coming from? And is God trying to get my attention? Next, the purpose of the 14s being taken into the king's courts was to change them. What am I talking about? Well, let's get into it and you'll, and you'll see. But that was the history. One of the things that was that was done, and, and you'll recognize the names, Daniel, uh, 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 well, you're going to recognize Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but you're going to hear their names right now, is that throughout history, what people want to do in order to change people's convictions into what they want to see happen is that they attack... And they replace thinking. They redefine things. Do we live in a society today that wants to redefine things? Oh, absolutely. Did I just catch your attention? Because if we can redefine things, it makes your God powerless. You're going to see a beautiful thing happen here in this chapter. So what do they do? They try to change their names they try to change their names. Why? Because their names reflected their faith. They reflected their former identity. We want to give you a different identity. We want to make you like us. Daniel meant God is my judge. So his name was changed to Belshazzar. Which means what? Bel protect his life. Baal was a Babylonian god. Hananiah. His name meant the Lord shows grace. His name was changed to Shadrach. Which means command of what? Aku, can you guys read that? Okay, good. Which was a moon god. For, uh, for Mishael, whose name meant who is like God, his name was changed to Meshach. And that means who is as Aku is. Again, another Babylonian god. Azariah means the Lord is my help. He was given the name Abednego. And why? Because that name means servant of Nebo or Nego, which is another Babylonian god. Nebuchadnezzar knew exactly what he was doing. Knew exactly what he was doing. And by the way, I'll just let you know that your culture knows exactly what it's doing. Your society knows exactly what it's doing. It wants to change and redefine the things that God has set in place. And it's all around us. So we can relate from history. So let's see what happens and how can we look at this and relate to it? Let's get into the Scripture this morning and read it out of Daniel 1. It says, uh, let me back it up here a little bit. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now stop. Wait a minute. You've already heard Scripture. You heard it out of Revelation 1 this morning that if we adopt or adapt uh, uh, The world's, or as he said, Jezebel's philosophy or her teaching of sexual immorality and food offered to idols. God said, I will hold it against you. This is future tense. This is future tense. Come on, is this really going to happen? Guys, I remember growing up that there were things that uh, they talked about the end times. We were always fascinated by it kind of cool stuff, Revelation and all this imagery and, and what's going to happen in the future. And you, Were you ever one of those people that, that you were always fascinated with that stuff? And I remember, you know, how many of you remember um, uh, Hal Lindsay's book? Raise your hand if you remember Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth. Yep, see, this is more of that I'm going to date you kind of stuff, right? I'm not going to date you. We're not going out. I'm just, I'm going to date you, okay? And secondly, uh, how many of you... Um, well, let me cut it short There was a movie that was produced And it was, it was horrible It was horrible When I was in high school How many of you remember The cross and the switchblade? I just dated you again We're going out a lot right now Alright, there was a movie That I saw when I was in Like fourth, fifth grade And uh, I don't remember the name of it But I remember a scene That horrified me It was about the end times. And a Christian was taken captive and they were thrown into a cell and what they showed was the silhouette of a guillotine. And that all Christians had been captured and they were being led out and a guillotine was cutting off their heads. And that's what the Scripture said. And I thought as a fourth or fifth grader... This is like crazy stuff. What are you talking about? And then as I got into high school, I was thinking, oh, that must be like imagery. You know, that Christians are going to suffer martyrdom or, or folks. Do I need to tell you? It's time for us to wake up. It is now. It is now. And as insane as some of the stuff seems in Revelation, I would I would pause it. You look at that and you say, come on. Just like Judah sat there and said, come on. Babylon's not coming over the hill. God always saves us. Remember, we read out of Jeremiah 25 where it hadn't happened yet. And he was specific to the name. And he was specific to the time. And he still told them, You have a chance to repent. What did I just read you out of Daniel 1? It happened. It happened. Are you ready to wake up and listen to history? Because this stuff's real. This is real. The result is captivity. Judah's failure to repent of their arrogance and come back to God resulted in their destruction and their capture Man suffers from the seduction of prosperity and crippling from adversity. We own it. We own it. But we don't have to live with it, do we? Amen? We don't have to live with it. How do you deal with this? How do you not end up in captivity? How do you not end up arrested, kidnapped, held against your will when it comes to your faith? you be resolute. We'll see that from Daniel. You have to be resolute. When I say that term, I wasn't going to mention this first service, but I had two people come up to me and mention this. When I say resolute, how many of you think of Nicolas Cage? Okay? From National Treasure. We don't use that word resolute anymore. But we'll see it this morning. This is the key in how to fight against the adversity that we face that distracts us from God or the prosperity that we face That makes us just like Judah and makes us separate and makes us fall into adversity. The result is captivity. God is slow to anger, but He will respond. For you and I, and for the churches in America, I think our number one problem is prosperity. We have too much, and therefore we don't need God. If ISIS was showing up in our towns and in our cities and and in our nation, which, by the way, they are already here. If you're not an expert in these things, we have some people in the room that are and they can tell you all about it. And I will tell you right now without going all Herald camping, a day is coming where your prosperity and your easy going time and your vacations and the luxury of being able to just live life the way we're living it will be gone. We will not live like we used to live. The writing is on the wall. Why do I say that? Because I learned from history. Because the predictive prophetic word of God says this is going to happen. And as you look at that, and as you look at Jeremiah 25, when God says through Jeremiah, this is going to happen unless you repent, America is a cesspool of prosperity. And we're dipping our toes all through it. And it's caused us to forget about the Lord our God. Because we can do it. We can do it. And so we've given our hearts over to other things. And you know what? Here's the beautiful thing. Is that God will go to great lengths. God will go to great lengths to wake us up. Because He loves us. God is slow to anger, but He will respond. He sends the message. He sent the message to Judah over and over. He's sending you the message right now. He fires a warning shot. He follows through with a heavy hand because of rebellion and arrogance. Please don't malign your view of who God is because we chose prosperity. We chose adversity and difficulty. God wants you to thrive. But we're here for a purpose. We're here to have relationship with Christ and to live righteously and to receive those benefits but to build towards His kingdom. Did I read verse 2? I don't think I got into verse 2. It says this, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Why do I bring that up? Well, because we've got a little bit of a challenge. What happens a lot of times, and, and I don't know if you teenagers feel it, um... I keep looking. Maybe there's a teenager over here. I don't know. Anna, you're a teenager. Okay. You're the size of the teenager. Okay, I got it. The, uh, the uniqueness is that we have this pullback reaction, right? You know, you ever been slapped by somebody? And then when they go to swing again, hopefully you move, right? So when we have these things happen in society, and we see horrible things that are coming out through our culture, through our education through our nation, all of that. We want to what? We want to retreat back. And get into our Christian cubby hole. Because that's safe. And we'll just wait out the storm. Here's what's fascinating. God didn't let these guys wait out the storm. He put them on the front lines. He put them on the front lines. And so when we talk about this, we, we see the, the, the adversity eroding in our faith All of a sudden we see God allow His servant Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to see that word in a minute. He allows him to go take His people captive, bring them back. And not only that, He allows them to go into His holy house and take holy symbols. It's like the perfection of slapping God in the face in the eyes of man. And God allows that to happen. Follow me. And not only that, he allows them to take those symbols of God's power and God's relationship with man that came out of the temple and stick them in his temple in Babylon and God does nothing about it. That's the moment when you're proposing, you're down on one knee and you say, will you marry me? And she says no and your heart sinks and you kind of wake up and you say, oh, that didn't really happen the way I I saw it happening. That's the same situation right there. Many of you are familiar with the story of the Ark of the Covenant that it it was taken over by the Philistines and it went into their villages and what happened? Their gods kept falling over, right? And they'd set their gods back up and then their gods would fall over and the people started getting incredibly sick so they took the Ark of the Covenant they put it on an ox cart and they hit the ox and they said, get out of here! We don't want to have anything else to do. Different story. God allowed His symbols to go into the house of powerless gods which in man's eyes would seem that those powerless gods have triumphed over the god of israel why did he do that because of us because of his deep deep desire he took humility in the eyes of mankind he went to the greatest lengths to reach so that the hearts of judah would be chained He humbled himself and he let insult upon insult come upon him. So that Nebuchadnezzar thought he ruled the day. But we know what's coming, don't we? We know what's coming. For us this morning, I challenge you, understand God will go to deep lengths to go after you. Because he loves you that much. That's what's tied up into this story. Today we see adversity and prosperity erode our faith through the following. Our nation, society, education, families, on and on. Test of captivity, 3-7. through seven. So what happens? He wants to change their thinking. And if you change their thinking, it changes their convictions. Let me read 3-7. through seven. It says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans, or Chaldeans, however you want to say that, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food and the king ate and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand Before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called, Belshazzar, Hananiah he called, Shadrach, Mishael he called, Meshach, and Azariah he called, Abednego. There's an effort to change their thinking. And I'm here to tell you that this is an age old, tried and true strategy of a conquering foe. We know that Hitler did it. We know that Mao does it, did it, does it. Mao's not still alive. Mao did it. Pol Pot did it. And on and on and on it goes. If you allow people to hold their beliefs, they will rise up against you. If you fold them in slowly to your beliefs and you earn their trust, it takes one generation to win the day. And you've conquered a complete nation. Folks, there are those in our nation that understand that. And they have gone after the youth. Big time. What I'm about to tell you, you're going to be uncomfortable with, especially if you're under the age of 30, 25. One of the obvious areas that this has been exercised is the area of marriage and the traditional family. Uh, we have shows like Modern Family. Right? That's the modern family. Get rid of the traditional family. We've got the modern family. We've got shows like The New Normal. Now my question to you is this. Without even getting into what's, what's in the script, why do they have to title it that? <laughs> because they're just like Nebuchadnezzar. They have to change our thinking to change our convictions and there is a deep effort to do this let me show you how far this has gone by the way there's a new show coming out Jericho and I were watching something the other day and I saw this commercial where there's a show that Ellen DeGeneres is oh now you've done it pastor you're picking on Ellen she is such a nice lady of course if she was horrible you wouldn't want to have anything to do with her and please understand let me. Just, let me just stop for a minute. So I'm bringing up this issue of same-sex marriage right now. This is just another issue. I'm not picking on this because I have some axe to grind on this. I'm bringing it up because it's permeating our society and I have to speak to it. Okay? Okay? I could easily speak to greed. I could easily speak to drunkenness. I could easily speak to letting nothing master over you. I could easily speak to lying and habitual habits. On and on and on. That was kind of redundant, right? Habitual habits like that? You can quote me on that. Don't. You won't sound very intelligent. Moving on. I have to address it because it's being thrust at us. I have to be resolute to address it because it's being thrust at us. And there's a definitive effort over the past 25 years to change it. And those who are, who are uh, advocates for that thinking know and they have succeeded not because of TV. They have succeeded because they got into our classrooms. And they've changed the thinking in the generation. They know that because of history. They know if they can change the thinking, they'll go that route. Let me show you where it's gone to. And before I do that, let me just throw out this. If if today you're sitting here and you, you say, I'm gay. Let me just clarify, God loves you. We love you. I don't, I don't hold any uh, animus or proclivity towards you any more than myself and my own problems. Okay? It just is what it is. Now, the world wants to say, well, that's not an issue. That's the problem we have. We have a society in a world that is in denial of just about everything because they don't want to face the fact that we're doing something wrong. I don't want to be told I'm wrong, right? I want to be told that I can do whatever I want to do and whatever makes me feel good and makes me feel happy. That's the societal change that we're hearing. Our society didn't even used to believe that, but now it's permeated into our entire society. That's what you guys have to wrestle with. Is this whole thing of what makes me happy, what makes me excited, what, makes, what satisfies me. Because that's continually given to you over and over and over and over. That that's what you're to strive for. The challenge that we have, is it just like anything else that we wrestle with, is that there's an effort to change our thinking. If we don't think through these things and if we don't see them through God's eyes, then if we're not resolute in that, our changing will th- our, our thinking will change. The question is: is, what is God's view, not what is my view? But let me just emphasize again. The Lord loves those who He came to die for. If He can stand in front of those, if He can hang on the cross in front of those who are mocking Him, spitting Him, and reviling Him, And he says to his father, forgive them, they know not what they do. I don't know anybody that doesn't fit in that category. But regardless, I am a sinner and I needed to repent for my sin. We live in a world that wants to deny sin. That wants to deny that we've messed up. And a lot of times where that manifests itself and it comes out is this issue of guilt. Guilt's like the worst word, right? Guilt is this horrible, horrible word. Let me tell you the trappings of guilt and how that works within our thinking and the changing of all that. And I've really diverged, but this fits. I think the problem with guilt that we have and why it traps us so much and we hate it is because we don't do what we just practiced this morning during communion, which is confession. We don't practice exactly what Christ says in Revelation, right? That we read. I'm going to give you a chance to repent, to confess. And you'll have great relationship with me. We don't like admitting that we blew it. And society says you shouldn't have to do that. Don't worry about doing that. Here's the problem with that. Time's up. Alright, I'm going to stop speaking now. No, here's the problem with that. Is that if you don't deal with it, then guilt happens because the reality is we all know when we've done something that hurts somebody. But if we don't have the resolve, if we're not resolute to take care of it and move past it and not let us steal our life away, then the guilt comes and that's what's bad. That's what's really bad. That's what destroys us. So my encouragement to you is do simply what God says. Deal with it. Confess it. Receive forgiveness. And be free. That's it. And that's the beauty of what God has for us. But the world wants to change our thinking. Because if we hold to that, then we're going to make people feel bad that they made a wrong choice. Guess what? They feel bad anyway. Look at our society. It's not getting us anywhere the thinking that they want us to change to gets us nowhere. Now watch where this goes. This is our world. This isn't Babylon. This is our world. See if you see the parallels. Where this past, or a week ago, a pastor, and I use that term lightly, was talking with Oprah (laughs) in an interview. And his statement was that he believes that the church is just moments away from embracing same-sex marriage. As a whole. And so Oprah's response was, what do you think is holding them back? And his response was, I quote, just some ancient letters. That came from a man that led and has produced videos Books that are being bought by the millions. He doesn't even call the Bible the Bible anymore. Why? He was not resolute and his thinking changed. So his convictions changed to the point where he no longer even calls the Bible the Bible. They won. They got him. They got him. Is this alive right now? Do we need to wake up? Well, oh, you better believe we need to wake up. And the reason that this pastor does this is because people continue to buy his books. You see, for him, it's prosperity that's killing his relationship with God. And it's so dangerous. They start with the youth. Youth are anti-establishment to begin in, Right? Right? Aren't you guys anti-establishment? You guys even know what that means? Like, I was anti-establishment. Right? I was always saying, I'm not going to be like my parents. Although you guys, you know, you you guys should be like your parents. I don't know about Jericho or Gentry, but you guys should be like your parents. Your parents are cool. But I always hated this. Janine and I get in a discussion, and, and we're doing something, or we're playing a game, or we're interacting about something, and she'll just pause and she'll look at me and she'll kind of tip her head and get a smile on her face. She goes, Okay, Don Cook. I'm like, Whoa! Oh. Right? Because we don't want to be like our parents. We're anti establishment. It's funny how that changes when you're like 30, 35. It's fascinating. But here's why the world wants to go after you guys because you're anti establishment. You're already there, you're already resisting. The established thinking, that's good in, in certain senses. But there's people that know that and they take advantage of it. Youth are pliable, moldable, impressionable. That's why I love speaking to youth. Look, I'm going I'm to tell you guys a secret. They're all going to turn out now because they mostly do. They mostly sleep through my messages. Okay? So I'm just going to talk to you guys right now that I like speaking to you guys because you're willing to examine it and change and think through things and and this, that, and the other. All the other people in this room, they've got it figured out. They already know exactly what to do. And so they don't really listen to anything I say. So I really appreciate you guys because you're moldable, you're pliable. I've lost my job now, and I'll be living with you later. Okay. (laughs) Youth will in a very short time be the new establishment. Hate to break it to you. Because you guys are going to get married. You're going to have kids. Aubrey, you're going to have kids. And those kids are going to say... Why do I have to do my homework? Why do I have to do my chores? Why do I have to go to Disneyland for the 10th time? No, I'm just kidding. It won't say that. You're going to be the new establishment. And the world knows it. That's why they're going after you. So you need to be resolute. If you name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to be resolute. And not just the youth. We need to be resolute. Segway. The happy ending to the story. Daniel. The test of captivity, 3-7, through you saw it. Nebuchadnezzar wants to change the following. He wants to change their culture. He wants to change their faith. He wants to change their language and their food. Oh, I could have handled the first three. But the food? Then he wants to change their identity. You change my food, you will change my identity. I will be grouse. Um... I'm a, I'm a very passive. I'm, I'm like the model for those Snickers commercials. Have you seen that? Janine will tell you, I'm the model for the Snickers commercial. The test of captivity, <laughs> will we follow the convictions of what it means to be a child of God? That's it. That's the question. And if we're not, then God's going to come after us to whatever degree, if if we're truly His, He's going to love us to the level of really doing what needs to be done so we will pay attention. Whether it's adversity or prosperity, whatever's sucking that faith life, that God life out of us, He's going to do something to get our attention. Whether it's our culture, whether it's our faith, whether it's our language, whether it's our food or our identity. So let's see what happens. The resolve in captivity. What happens in the midst of all this? Nebuchadnezzar is trying to change everything. He's trying to make it uh uh, be different he's trying to um win them over if he can change their convictions his nation grows exponentially by the way he chose what he chose that which would be the leadership of society name a christian that's high focus right now that have said that has said something that's had an impact on the world can you name one Maybe it's somebody that you never knew was a Christian and they made a statement for Christ. Like Justin Bieber. No, did I just say that? Did I just, did I just go there? No. There are those that do make statements for Christ because they're in high-focus positions that encourage and lead people. My daughter loves the story about Bethany Hamilton, the soul surfer. And her story of faithfulness and and leaning out to God. Unless Bethany makes that known, my girl and, and other girls around the world can never be encouraged towards that. If we can change Bethany's thinking, they'll never know. She'll never have an influence. Nebuchadnezzar knew this. So what happens? Let me read it as we wrap up. Those three words may be the most encouraging thing you've heard so far today. Verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow himself not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has signed your food and drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of our own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the servant whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servant for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Oh, I'm so sorry to the teenagers in the room. Your parents are now going to serve you nothing but vegetables. Let me just say this. There was a movement, and it's still going on right now within churches. Some very high-profile pastors have had Dr. Oz come on and be part of their congregation. And they've instituted what's called the Daniel Diet. Anybody heard of the Daniel Diet? Yeah, so they take this idea of eating just vegetables and water. And it's fascinating. And it's all brought about by biblical, practical, you know, it's right there. Let's do it. Let's be like Daniel. This is what's wrong with the church. That we're only eating vegetables. No, it's, it's the fact that you miss something there. So for all you vegans in the room, all you Vegemites or whatever you guys are, they're like, yes, listen to that Word. Preach it, Pastor. Let me take you back to the Word. Shall I? You know, these pastors brought on the Daniel diet so that we might, what? We have a problem with obesity in our society and so that we can lose weight, right? And let's look and then here, you know, you have biblical instance of just eating vegetables and God shined upon it. Problem. What was the result? So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh sorry Daniel diet people I should be your poster child for the Daniel diet the point of this was not to lose weight the point of this was not to practice some kind of discipline Daniel decided through the leading of the Lord because of his resolve that he was going to make a stand for his God in light of the other gods Daniel saw what was going on Daniel understood what was going on he's saying I'm going to put my God up against your God. And my God's going to win. My God's going to win. And what happened? He started with the chief of the eunuchs. And he tested him. And it says God gave grace and mercy through this eunuch that he would try it and look at what happened. And so he granted it to him. Then he stands before Nebuchadnezzar. What happens? Verse 17, as for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king... And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's look at what being resolved and being resolute did for Daniel and the others. Number one, Daniel was close enough to the Lord that he recognized the trap. He saw what was going on and he responded against it. This is what we need to do, my friend. For you guys, 15, 16, you need to recognize what's being done and the effort that's done to change your thinking against God. And you need to recognize it and you need to stand against it. You need to be resolute. Second, Daniel was resolved in the face of adversity. He had great adversity. He was taken captive. And yet he trusted God in the midst of that. Daniel was resolved in the face of prosperity. It wasn't just meat that he gave up. He gave up the king's meat. He gave up the king's wine. I'm telling you, if I was standing there, I'd be looking and saying, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? You know, God's giving us in the midst of this adversity. God is so great. And yet Daniel saw through the trap and he said, you know what? I'm going to make this as poignant as possible. And I'm going to reject the one thing you would think that would be the one thing I value the most. And I'm going to show that my God can carry me through. Now, here's the fascinating thing. God took these four youth and they were supposed to learn the culture, they were supposed to learn the language, they were supposed to eat the king's food. What was the one thing they held back from? The king's food. The scripture just said that God gave them, God granted them deep understanding in these other areas. Can I just encourage you, these words of our Lord and Savior where he's praying in the high priestly prayer in John He says, don't take them out of the world, but don't let them be of the world. We need believers that understand God and the power of God to be scientists. You don't have to sacrifice your faith to be in the sciences. We need a voice of rational thought in the sciences. Because the sciences are trying to do this, right? They're trying to change the thinking so that they can change the convictions. And they're winning in that. Next, Daniel was the voice that led the other three. This is a story about Nebuchadnezzar eventually changing his ways and being compassionate upon the people of Judah. Why did that happen? Because of four guys? No. It happened because of one guy who stood up and was resolved and resolute. Secondly, that one guy turned around and recruited three other guys. It takes one voice be resolute today in our world in our society my friends I implore you are we going to just be sucked in by the prosperity that we have in our lives so that we forget the Lord our God or are we going to stand up with our brothers and sisters around the world who are being martyred are we ready to face that ourselves Are we ready to be done with the prosperity which from some pulpits preach that that's what you deserve? Or are we ready to let God do the work and trust Him and put our God up against the God of the world? Be resolute and learn from history because it worked. Daniel changed the king of Babylon. A 15-year-old. Changed the king of Babylon simply by being resolute let me close in prayer today you know it's not enough to just speak words that are strong in its voice I'm going to challenge you this morning I do believe our church is under attack I believe all churches are under attack Um, as I talk with pastors I see the church around the world being under attack And it's time to gather for prayer. We just happened to schedule prayer for the month tonight, but I'm going to encourage you, be resolute. Gather with us on a special night of prayer tonight where we will be getting together on our knees in prayer, one with another, for our church and for the church around the world because we need to do this. We need to be resolute. We need to call out to the God that changed the mind of Nebuchadnezzar because that can change. Let me pray and dismiss you this morning. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of seeing how you worked in the history of man Lord speak to our hearts encourage us, lift us up give us an understanding that goes beyond what we can hold to, help us to be resolute help us Lord to not let our thinking be changed by some empty and worldly philosophy. But let us hear and let us respond. And let us lead others. In the face of a wrong culture. Thank you Father to your glory. Amen.